Hello and welcome to the RI Science Podcast. This month, Dame Stephanie Shirley shares her personal experiences of autism. These Friday evening discourses have been going since 1825, and I'm privileged to follow uh, major scientific figures such as Michael Faraday, um, he who discovered many of the fundamentals of physics and chemistry. I'm a mathematician um, who moved into um, the the early computing industry. I'm in the National Museum of Computing, so you see a museum piece. (laughs) But I'm now known as the autism lady. Uh, And autism is what I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm going to speak from personal experience and with the story of my autistic son, Giles, um, and use his story to punctuate this discourse. So what is autism? It's a lifelong developmental disability, a brain disorder that affects how people perceive the world, interact with others, because autistic people see and and hear and feel, feel the world differently to the rest of us. There's no cure and uh, Any treatment involves um, specialist educational and behavioural interventions, therapy starting from a very young age. It's a spectrum condition. Being autistic affects people in different ways. Um, Some autistic people also have learning disabilities. Some have epilepsy. My son had both. Uh, There's mental health problems other conditions, and those with high intellect, and there are many, are normally termed Asperger syndrome. It's impossible to diagnose someone who isn't alive, um, but Sir Isaac Newton sounds like a classic case of Asperger. He hardly spoke, was so focused that he often forgot to eat, He relied strongly on routine, and if no one turned up to his lectures, he gave them anyway. (laughs) There are around 700,000 people in the UK with autism. And to understand how the world looks to them, you will have seen the virtual reality demonstration outside, kindly provided by the National Autistic Society. And this is for you, and it'll be going on later this evening, this is for you to experience um, how something simple like a shopping trip seems to someone with autism, um, who is experiencing enormous sensation overload. You wear the special goggles, which you'll have seen, uh, to give a realistic experience of autism. And try it for yourself, because it's a powerful learning encounter with virtual reality, of which I'm sure you've all heard. 
when my son Giles was young, um, autism was classed as a rare disorder. Um, today, the latest estimate is one in every 86 children, the increase being largely accounted for by redefinition and better diagnosis. But not wholly so. And the rapid increase explains the poor services and the unacceptably long waiting times for services. One of the early studies found a um, statistically significant link with engineer parents. I'm a systems engineer, of course. Um, and there have been a raft of studies uh, linking autism to difficult births, uh, to Jewish parents, uh, to mercury from mobile phones, old iPod batteries, and other products of the electronic age. None of them adding very much to information, but all of them co contributing to confusion. There is no evidence that vaccines contribute to autism spectrum. Some hundreds of genes are expected to be involved, um, not so much defining autism, but leading to autism susceptibility. And you've got clues about autism also coming from the simpler uh, single gene disorders where there are autism symptoms. It's found two or three times more often in boys than in girls. Is this because the <coughs> girls are underdiagnosed or do they present differently? Uh, it's been known for a long time to run in families. Um, someone with a child with autism uh, has a five or six percent chance. Uh, that a sibling would also be affected. Giles was diagnosed at the age of three, and we were advised to put him in an institution and start our family anew. We sought genetic counselling, uh, but there was then little understanding of what is now recognised as one of the most heritable disorders. And in any event, we decided to concentrate on the child that we had, though mourning the child that might have been. In that dark age, learning disability was called mental handicap, uh, and many children were uh, categorised as ineducable and came under health rather than education. And early exceptions were those with autism. Um, so parents actually started to push for the diagnosis of autism, a wonderful example of how statistics can get skewed. As one of the cruelly called refrigerator mums of the period, I was conscious that my mathematics was not really very good training uh, to be a mother, uh, but I could not believe that my mothering could have affected my child so disastrously. 
And today, a diagnosis of autism covers a range of disability, so many that we actually refer to autisms. Uh, some are regressive, some not. Uh, some are associated with epilepsy, um, some not. The high-functioning end, Asperger syndrome. We say autistic spectrum, but since it ranges in at least three dimensions, language, social, obsession with order, we should perhaps talk about an autistic space. And whichever which way, we know very little. My husband and I got one period of respite care for Giles. We let go and were certainly more able to cope after the break. We never repeated the exercise because, to be honest, the break was horrendous for Giles and we wouldn't do it again. We had a comparable attack of independence when um, attendance allowance was first launched. Surely this was not for me with my husband in full employment. Um, but I learned to do away with guilt and accept whatever help was available. We were desperate. Reading anything that might be relevant, uh, the current fad then was for megavitamins. There is a disturbing uh, fringe on the web um, offering conspiracy theories galore um, and at a price. It is clear that certain interventions help certain children, but no one knows which is going to help whom and in what circumstances. So parents can bankrupt themselves emotionally, financially, for treatments having absolutely no effect, sometimes to an abusive level. A strict training regime for a young child of 40 hours a week is not, to my mind, respectful of that little person. There have been tragic examples of uh, more severe interventions, and I'm reminded of Florence Nightingale's stricture to do no harm. Educators also need a Hippocratic oath, and without this, we're acting as if the child is indeed ineducable. And we need always to distinguish between child assent parental permission, legal authorization, and moral responsibility. There are a lot of cranky teaching methods uh, for pupils with autism. Um, the reputable ones have much in common. Uh, pupils spend many hours each week having social, pre-planned in detail, structured lessons. I'm told that there are three separate strategies to, for children to learn. To calm, 
to order and to give a voice. Applied behavior analysis, ABA, teaching, sometimes known as low-vas low therapy, to calm. Treatment and education of autism and communication handicapped children, teach to order and picture exchange communication system, PECS, to give a voice. Let me explain what ABA is about. Tasks are divided into learn units, such as put the cup on the saucer, not on the table, not thrown across the room, put the cup on the saucer. And if the pupil manages that 18 times out of 20 over a period of three days, the lesson moves on to the next learn unit. So it's enormously labor-intensive. Many parents believe in it wholeheartedly, but to date, there is no scientific evidence as to its efficacy. They might as well just spend the equivalent time reading the dictionary to their child. Teach is a broad-based, um, structured teaching system um, which emphasizes strengths and, and interests rather than deficits. And by structure, I mean organizing the physical environment, developing schedules and systems, especially individual work systems, and making expectations clear and explicit. Everything is personalized to each child, and TEACH has proved its value since 1974. PECS is a sort of evidence-based alternative communication using pictures and words, with the words changing over the weeks, getting smaller and smaller, so eventually only the picture is left, only the word is left. Try again. <laughs> Which is it? it? The picture is accompanied by the word, and over the weeks the picture gets smaller and smaller, so eventually you're left with the word, and the child is reading. There's also a Welsh pecs. Uh, nothing, as far as I know, for Urdu, Hindi, or any of the other Indo-European family of languages. I'd like to comment about diet. Um, removing grain, especially wheat, and removing dairy products from the diet are two common treatments which work for some, but not for others. If they work, it's very dramatic. Um, days for children, weeks for adults. Note, though, that, again, no scientific review of diet studies has shown a positive result. In Who's Who, I give my only recreation as wishful thinking. <laughs> and we shouldn't overlook wishful thinking when new interventions are heralded. Autism is a perplexing disorder. 
It's ever our dream, or is it nightmare, that inside every child with autism is a child without autism trying to get out. I've learned relatively recently here to consider autism as a different way of living. And that makes conductive education in which teachers draw from their pupils rather than impart information and knowledge and makes that more useful. And education has, in any case, changed its mission from knowledge to skills. Skills which last rather than knowledge that fades. And that's dramatically true of special education. Like the sculptor chipping away at the piece of stone, teachers reach out to get the child within. Longitudinal studies um, specific to autism um, concentrate on children at risk by tracking the development of babies born with an older sibling already diagnosed with autism. And by tracking them in that way, researchers are able to spot potential problems, not necessarily a diagnosis, but early in the first year. And that's valuable time gained in which to intervene. I made many mistakes trying to rear Giles. Even with all the love in the world, um, it was not a pretty story. Huge amounts of energy and effort. And at one time, I seriously thought of getting a sheepdog to help me with Giles. Perhaps a robot would have been more useful. Uh, because Giles was what the social workers call sometimes a runner. Chaos really reigned in the years three to five, uh, but I could pick him up then and so avoid the worst disasters. Um, he was doubly difficult in puberty, which came far too early, at the age of 11, when he also developed epilepsy. And about a third of people with autism are either born with or develop epilepsy. Uh, brain research shows the uh, closeness of the abnormalities. Now, those associations between uh, autism and epilepsy and learning disab uh, disabilities uh, such as fragile X and, and Down syndrome are important in meeting affected people's needs. But next to nothing is known about them, about the links. At one time, Giles was prescribed lithium on the basis of possible manic depression. Depression is equally probable as existing alongside autism. And the suicide rates for Asperger adults is a horrendous 6%, approaching the 10% of the serious mental disorders, such as schizophrenia. Asperger children usually realize that they are different from others at about the ages of six and seven. It's important to help them fit in 
uh, perhaps uh, by getting somebody of their own age group to help them with haircuts and clothes and so on. Because uh, bullying is four times more likely uh, than for their peers. And in the teenage years, an average of one in ten Asperger ad adolescents are victimized by their peers. And those figures are probably conservative because autistic children sort of accept things as, oh, well, that's just how things are. So they don't generally report bullying. Uh, what is undisputed is that six out of every ten adults um, succeed in taking their own lives. And that, of course, should have been six out of every hundred. Now, given those facts and figures, um, we must learn more about the nature of autism. And all organisations must continue to press for investment in research to further our knowledge. Life is not just the one with autism. We'd decided to restrict our family, but we had always to keep going, not least keep our own sanity. What the family needed was a wraparound system of support. And the ideal service uh, would provide medical, educational, and social support services um, to be to not only just the individual with autism, but also to their family and carers. A holistic approach. Giles didn't sleep much, um, so my husband and I operated a shift system. No wonder the divorce rate of parents with autism uh, is a horrendous 82%. And looking back, it was a terrible period. Um, one of the practical research studies my Shirley Foundation funded much later is a comprehensive study of sleep patterns and parents' perception of those sleep patterns. It was Great Ormond Street Hospital who first used the A is for autism word for me and uh, introduced a child therapist. And too often, researchers don't talk to the clinicians. And clinicians don't talk to the pra practitioners, the educators. And nobody seems to listen to the parents, experts in their own children. It is important for parents to trust their instincts and not let the professionals push the family into anything. And there's a crying need to train mainstream teachers to make the term inclusive more meaningful, um, to have associated um, special units, special classes, as well as special schools. Giles lost the few words that he had as a toddler and never spoke again. A fairly typical regression. 
For others, uh, vocabulary and pronunciation seem to depend uh, less on family um, than TV and films. Um, you may have seen the recent film um, Life Animated, uh, which tells of autistic Owen, whose only speech was mimicking Disney characters. Giles had one term at what was called a training centre uh, until he flinched when I waved. Somebody had been hitting him. And parents, indeed everyone, has to learn to listen, listen hard to these non-communicating children. And later, um, Giles went to an excellent weekly boarding school. But we never managed to find any secondary schooling for him at all. There were occasional services that wanted to help, uh, but often I'd just get home after having settled him in somewhere um, to get a phone call saying, through gritted teeth, that they couldn't manage, and would I come and collect him? It was an awful ghastly period. And I write very honestly about this in my memoir. We got a bit of financial help from various uh, foundations and grants, uh, most of whose application procedures were not relevant to autism. And there's a crying need for more and better partnerships to meet people's needs, rather than trying to squeeze people into existing patterns. A quarter of autistic pupils are excluded from school at one stage or another, um, two-thirds of those more than once. The National Autistic Society, the world's first and now largest such association, reported that only 40% receive a service that is suitable for their needs. But if that's poor, it's a lot better than the uh, services that adults get. Eventually, when Giles was 13, I cracked up, and since I was the main carer, both of us finished up in hospital. I came out of mine after a month and was took about a year to recover. Giles stayed in a subnormality hospital, an asylum really, uh, for 11 years. He was in a locked upstairs ward for a dozen adolescent boys. We took him home every weekend and then couldn't manage even that. Um, so we're reduced to taking him out for a picnic in the grounds. Uh, fine in summer, um, ghastly in winter, when the three of us cowered under a heat-reflecting sheet it was very, very difficult to keep any semblance of family going. When I phoned midweek to find out how things were going, um, I was told the activity for the day was very often described to me as, we've been hoping to go out. That was the activity for the day, hoping to go out. And there still remain hundreds of people in Britain living such restricted lives.
I'm not really talking about adults tonight, um, but will say that few who received a childhood diagnosis of autism uh, become self-sufficient. Um, less than 10% do well. Uh, the remainder are dependent on third-party support for the remainder of their lives in all aspects. Um, the average additional lifetime cost to the family of a child with autism and learning disability is three million pounds. Only 7% education, all the rest indirect support. What society doesn't want is a failing child turning into becoming a failing adult and ending up in institutional care having broken the health of the parent. Now, my experiences with a profoundly affected child um, and days long past, uh, but a recent survey showed that both parents and professionals uh, still feel that there is, and I quote, very little available. Giles became institutionalised in hospital and, as can so often happen, lost most of his human rights. The abuses made us determined to get him back into the community and so we set up an adult service, Autism at Kingwood, with Giles as the first resident. And today, Kingwood supports 118 adults whose needs challenge existing services and is contracted to keep an overview of a further 25 adults with Asperger's syndrome who do live independently. And I'm pleased to recognise Sarah Tosh um, and Fleck, um, whom some of you will have already met from, the charity Dogs for Good. And for the past seven years, um, Sarah and Fleck, who's a Labrador, Labrador gross, cross gold retriever, have visited Kingwood on a weekly basis to help residents with a range of skills, such as um, teaching people how to cross the road safely sometimes using a head or even a body rest as a companionable way to calm things. We never got anywhere near um, considering part or full-time voluntary or paid work for Giles. But jobs are now achievable in my own IT industry um, for those with Asperger's syndrome. And uh, for some of Giles' peer group, uh, in work placements and support from organisations um, such as the Disability Equality System Scheme. A good strategy is to help adults develop skills where they are sought out as consultants rather than aiming for employment, where they have to get through that difficult interview stage. Uh, in any case, um, all work has to be 
really linked to a particular child's interests. I suppose that's obvious. Um, and in Giles's case, um, the only interest he really had was jigsaws and cats. So I suppose I could have found him a job in sweeping out in a cattery or tidying up a toy shop. Society accepts that it's discriminatory not to provide documents and keyboards in Braille for people who are blind. But few understand that social exclusion can also be actively discriminatory. And perhaps we all need to adapt our ways of working, our ways of living, rather than the conceitful reverse, expecting autistic people to adapt to standard environments. <coughs> I've supported some 70 autism projects, um, including setting up four charities, autism charities. Now, I've explained how Giles was the first resident in the first home at Autism at Kingwood, my first charity. The second charity was the Prior's Court Residential School for Autistic Pupils, aged 5 to 18. And all the young people also have profound learning disabilities, and 80% of them have no speech. But just because pupils don't speak, can't speak, is, um, doesn't mean that the national curriculum is closed to them. They're all learning to learn. And the school's motto is to learn to be. 60 pupils plus 20 students aged 19 to 25 in a young adult centre are supported by six hundred staff and one robot. <laughs> the fees, um, paid for by the 40 local authorities that the pupils come from, are necessarily high uh, and currently range from 68,000 a year to 235,000 a year for pupils requiring one or sometimes two members of staff to support them throughout the day and night. The small classes, typically of seven pupils, uh, go by age, not ability, and apart from making sure that a, a class is not uh, all hyperactive and that those who are noise-sensitive are not grouped together with people, people who are very noisy, it's first come whenever there's a vacancy and there's only a small intake each year, uh, and a careful selection process to uh, ensure that the ones that come in really will benefit from such a specialist environment as Prior's Court. You will now hear a song about autism recorded by the school's profoundly autistic pupils and their support staff.
As you can tell from that, the school has a life-changing impact on families, um, both pupils and their families, really. Because the pupils, you can see, are profoundly vulnerable, um, no sense of danger, um, little understanding of the world around them, very limited communication skills. Uh, they may bite or hit themselves or others um, when they get anxious, such as when uh, they're faced with a change in routine or a new situation. Usually they join Prowse Court when their ex current school, their previous school, uh, is no longer able to provide um, it's sufficient specialists, autistic children do rather learn rather differently. Um, and um, basically they and their families are usually in crisis by the time they come to us. The commitment of the staff at Browse Court, and there are a few of them here, um, is really second to none. You can see that from the video. Um, but it is there. It's not just the emotion, it's their specialist autism expertise and, and the patience to teach skills in a very structured way that enables each child to make progress in all aspects of their life. Learning to dress, to wash, to communicate, making choices about their life. And for parents, knowing that their child is safe and healthy and happy is a huge relief. And then come milestones such as being able to go out for a family meal. That's an enormous step forward. As from last year, there's also a teaching robot. Uh, size like a two-year-old child, so as to be non-threatening to children and appealing to adults. And while they're much more sophisticated robots, uh, this is a simple one um, to teach life skills uh, to autistic pupils aged five up. And the cost is only about £5,000, uh, with additions such as um, repair costs, because they do need a hip replacement from time to time. <laughs> These robots were developed at the University of Birmingham uh, in order to provide a new interactive technology uh, for young people and with learning difficulties and autism. And its teaching success comes from show, not tell. It never gets tired of, rep of repetition, particularly effective, because it's taken out some of the complexities of communication, such as facial expression. The face does not change. And about 80% of the school's pupils are non-verbal. Um, so the robot is a useful addition to the tools to help them with the development of communication and classroom learning. It's able to recognize words and pictures, who it's talking to, and can respond specifically to the pupil it's engaging with. And after a very successful trial, um, pupils who, due to their autism, have difficulty relating to others, were comfortable interacting with the robot, making prolonged eye contact, 
and responding to its demonstrations and instructions. And counterintuitively, this adds, not subtracts, to the relationship with the humans present. What sort of lessons? To teach eye contact, which autistic people find difficult and is so important to human relationships, by reading or singing and stopping whenever the pupil loses eye contact. That's the incentive. The robot will also tell a story and then ask questions about it. Uh, it works well with groups and has a calming effect. A, a pupil who is uh, normally dashing about in all directions and you can't really begin to teach uh, will walk calmly and quietly with the robot. And above all, the robot never gets tired and will repeat and will repeat and will repeat and will repeat to give positive reinforcement, very different to working on a screen, for instance. Nearly 20 years ago, uh, my Giles died unexpectedly with his first ever nighttime seizure. I have now learnt to live without him, without his need of me, and slowly let his memory go. Perhaps Fade would describe it better. And I'm restored in mind and spirit. Love transcends death. And my life is dedicated now to the autism sector. Perhaps to make sense of Giles's life uh, perhaps to give significance to mine. And I started to focus on the big question. What causes autism? Indeed, what autism is, as distinct from what it looks like. And science has also moved on from behaviour to biology. So let me spend a few minutes um, talking about what's happening in biomedical research. By measuring heads, children with autism have been shown to have a normal head size at birth, but increase above the population norm for the next three years. So that on average, children with autism have a slightly bigger head. What can that mean? Internally, imaging technologies show differences in brain anatomy, so that whereas, for example, uh, neurotypical people uh, process facial recognition with a certain part of the brain, those with autism use a different part of the brain. What can that mean? And research indicates that it's the abnormality of the cabling between the different parts of the brain that is the real problem. What can that mean? And progress is hampered uh, by not having enough post-mortem uh, mate brain material, but the next few years really can be expected to deliver significant advances in genetics and in brain imaging. People are always asking if my foundation can't do more. Uh, nobody complains that we do too much. 
although autism is not a disease and can't be cured, some interventions of people with high intellect can result, do result, after many years, in some people learning to lose their mannerisms and seemingly to lose their autism. And certainly Asperger syndrome is now accepted as a different way of living. But there is no way I would ever choose to have a child as profoundly handicapped as Giles, despite everything we tried to do the quality of his life was woeful. Research is slow. Uh, research is expensive. Uh, it demands involvement and can't be delegated very far. So I'm delighted that, in line with the Royal Institution's tradition, that I'm able this evening that my third charity, Autistica, can announce its launch of a new 600,000 fund to find and test new interventions to improve languages and communication in autism. And making ourselves understood uh, to others goes to the heart of what we mean by being human. <coughs> what do I hope you will remember from this discourse? Firstly, for you to think how the different transitions, how you can ease them, because it's difficult from children, for children to move from playground to classroom. It's the transition, not the destination, that's problematic. And the children need specific support with life's transitions, from home to pre-five, from pre-five to infants, from infant to, sec to secondary, uh, from adolescence through to adulthood. I hope you're also now better aware of how perplexing autism is and how devastating it can be. Thank you very much. Stephanie, that's very, very moving discourse. I don't think uh, I don't think I've ever heard a move, more moving discourse in uh, in the lecture theatre here. Uh, we've got uh, some time for um, questions and comments, and perhaps I could exercise my uh, usual host's prerogative and ask the um, first question, which I'm afraid says a very, very mundane uh, question about funding, because you mentioned that it is very resource intensive to look after. Um, uh, autistic children in the way that your son was looked after, and you mentioned in passing it was done by local authorities, but with budgets under such stress, especially local authority budgets, how do you see the future playing out in the sort of current very, very uncertain Well, climate? let's get somebody from Prior's Court School to answer this. Anna, where, where are you? Can you wait for a microphone to uh, come? Oh, we have a chairman, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I think the 
first thing to say um, is that um, obviously one of the pressures is that uh, increasingly local authorities are trying to cut their budgets and as a result more and more the young people who come to the school um, have probably already been tried through several different um, types of care before they actually get to the point where they come to somewhere like Prior's Court. So typically nowadays, and you know, a local authority will insist that a child is first of all tried in a state's ordinary state school. Then if that doesn't work, then they'll perhaps put them into a local special needs daycare school. And something like total residential provision, which is what you can ultimately achieve in Prior's Court, is something that happens as a last resort in many cases. And the sad thing about that, actually, is that really, the sooner young people come to somewhere like Prior's Court, um, the sooner we can start to employ all the special techniques and approaches that we take. And ultimately, hopefully, the better impact we can have on that child's well-being. Having said all that, um, yes, of course, we're, we're, we're always being squeezed on budgets. We're always under pressure from local authorities to keep our, um, our costs down to the minimum. They don't like it when we ask them for an increase in, in term, you know, to cope with cost of living increase and so forth. And it, it's a continual um, tension. But having said all that, um, at the end of the day, local authorities have a duty to provide provision and care for young people and in most cases there comes a point in time where there's an acceptance that the kind of provision at Prior's Court is the best provision for the young person. There is a whole complex process that takes place to reach this and very often it involves parents going to tribunal and all sorts and having perpetual battles but Usually, if, if it's the right place for the child and the, the process has gone through, normally then the local authority kind of accepts that this is the cost of providing that, process, that care. It's more difficult with over-19s because then it goes to a different, um, a, a, a different sort of budget holder. But having said that, we, our young adult provision is full um, and we're always having people looking for places in our young adult, young adult provision. Um, and again, I think it just shows the fact that there just is such a scarcity of the kind of quality provision that you can get from Prior's Court. Thank you very much. Okay, comments, questions? Right, uh, in the centre there. Wave wildly because I've got a, some very bright light shining at me. I'm afraid it's another Prior's Court question. You, you mentioned that the pupils are grouped in seven by age and not by ability. And I imagine that must have taken some, some thought. And I wondered why that decision was made. I was very much involved with the school at the time when those initial decisions were, were being thrashed out. I think the crux of the matter is, do we respect these children? This is a seven-year-old. We want to treat them like a seven-year-old. This is a nine-year-old who's wanting to do different... This is a teenager who's wanting to do different things. And the fact that they can't speak or have very limited intellectual capability doesn't alter that. So age is almost a form of respect. Um, we talk about 
um, pupils at the school and students and in the Young Adult Centre, basically young people. And that's what we're about. And um, we try to make the best decisions at any time. Okay, in the, in the gallery. Hello. Yeah, please, okay. Uh, uh, Professor Golding of Bristol University has just proven that um, smoking in not only in parents, but of the grandparents of the child increases autism. How do you feel about these industries producing so much deadly pollution and seem to be getting away with it without any um, approach or recourse to their actions? Well, I can't see you at all, but let me just throw it out into the thing. Um, <laughs> Ian, from the National Autism Project, you're the sort of person who can really give an authoritative answer on this. Where are you? Thank you. You're my good friends, yes. <laughs> so I can bring the microphone to... Uh, uh, Um, excuse me, I'm Ian Reagan. I'm the director of the National Autism Project. And Steve has just dumped me with an extremely difficult question to answer, which I cannot. I've not heard of this research. But presumably, Ian, it's one of those things that hasn't been checked, basically. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't even see the questioner. Where are you? He's upstairs. There you are. Okay, so, you know, this is one report, or it's been replicated. These things come and they go, and... They need to. They need independent verification. That can, there have been so many scare stories about what causes autism, what does not cause autism. Most of them, in the course of time, disappear and are never resuscitated. So, I'm not saying this is true or not true, but I don't know yet. Okay. Somebody else in the gallery up there. Can you wait for a microphone to come around, Martin? Hello. Um, do you think it's time for the Department for Education to set a national autistic strategy rather than leave it up to individual local authorities to determine their own policies, which are often, um, my family has found, to its extreme cost, very cynically cost-driven and based on denial and minimisation of children's needs? They are very cynical as shown by the attitude of the solicitor's firm Baker Small recently. And I believe that that is not an isolated incident, but is reflective of, of some of the cynical attitudes adopted by local authorities when dealing with these children. Please, please come and work with me. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> yeah. Right, OK. Please, here. Yeah. I think it's um, brilliant, by the way, um, what you've said. But worsening provision for the ma majority now, which is going on in education, means that it's getting even worse for the minority, which uh, deeply, um, deeply upsets me. I mean, the mark of civilization is how we treat those who are less fortunate than ourselves. And I think it's a disgrace and what is, uh, what is happening, but I have a particular point. I saw a program on psychopathy, which is also a spectrum, and obviously the point they were making, they're making some progress there in, in terms of <coughs> young people and trying to change the brain, which is very plastic. Um, I wondered, obviously, I mean, some of this clearly is, is, is going on. Um, how far do you think that the plasticity of the brain and what we're learning is going to help on this 
um, obviously you're saying there's no cure, but isn't there amelioration to a large degree possible? I mean, we do know that the brain is able to develop and change much later than we thought, because a generation ago, I think we all believed that by the time you were... I was told, for example, if you're not speaking by 23 uh, years old, you'll never speak. Uh, one of my charities has got somebody um, who has started to speak uh, at that sort of age. The thing that I would comment on about budgets is that the, there is a very high national cost of autism. Autism costs the nation 32 billion a year. And that is a real cost with much of which could be saved by investing in autism in, the same, in a positive way in order to bring total costs down. So I have stopped talking about uh, how difficult it was for me and, and uh, these poor children and we don't want them living under the bridges of... Uh, basically, this is a cost and it can be curtailed uh, to the betterment of society. OK, there's someone in the centre there. Yep. Um, Courtney, can you...? Thank you for the talk. I think it's re really important for decision-makers to hear the real experience, um, as you have uh, given us today. Um, I've been reading about epigenetics, and I, I, you mentioned that there is a genetic component to, uh, or several genes, involved in some forms of autism. And the gentleman, I think, upstairs mentioned smoking, which, of course, can um, affect the methylation of some genes and therefore could, you know, that's a mechanism by which it could bring about the switching on and switching off of some genes. And I, I believe that there has been some, um, you know, some work that's shown that there is a, an association with um, some epigenetic factors. I can't see at all that it's going to help but it may be an explanation, and I wonder if you're aware of any of that kind of work. Well, some of the words you use are sort of too long for me. <laughs> um, but we've been studying genetics at enormous cost. Billions have been spent into genetic studies and linking this with autism. What one has found is that about 80% of the causation of autism is due to something happening in the genetic area. That's about as best I can describe it with. <clears throat> you say several genes. Uh, it's thought that over 400 genes are involved. And again, as I talked, not necessarily to cause autism, but to linked with autism susceptibility. So it's very complex. And in a sense, <clears throat> we've all been... I mean, I started working on... Uh, medical research around about the millennium, so I've been doing it for 17 years, and there have been changes, but we still haven't got to really understanding what autism is, as distinct from what it looks like. Thank you. Um, there's a, there's a well-known correlation between, as you mentioned earlier, people that have maths backgrounds and people that work in science and engineering, and quite a few clusters, especially around the technology industry, both as parents and quite a few people actually in the tech industry. What sort of help are you receiving from them, apart from 
your friend the robot. There is a, <clears throat> a global drive to employ full-time um, about a million people on the autistic spectrum uh, within the IT industry. It rather depends how you define the IT industry. We're all IT in a sense now. So that in the city of London, for example, one would, um, about 50,000 people we would need employed there. Now, some of them are already there. They, they work well in the tech industry. And um, once they're in employed, um, they are loyal, they don't change jobs, their health records are good, they become very valuable employees. The um, changes that really impact the world um, are not, um, perhaps in a sense they're not, they're societal changes. Um, how can we be more inclusive? How can we accept and welcome people who think in a different way and may have different sorts of ideas. And when you do take their involvement of people with autism into managerial or other areas, the payback is enormous. Um, thank you. Could you perhaps comment a little on the international picture and where we rank and lagging and leading, and are there very cultural differences in approach to autism in other countries, and is there much that we can learn, or are we, in fact, for all the flaws and all the weaknesses in our position, one of the better countries in addressing autism? Well, um, in research generally, um, Britain has 1% of the world's population and produces 10% of the quality research, so basically we're doing very well, including in research. We do not have the size of America. When I started on this, I spent three years on a, an American board to really be able to piggyback on, on what they were doing. Um, the um, nations which have been leaders are the Scandinavian nations, particularly Sweden. Um, I know at one time, when I've told you a lot about jars, at one time we thought perhaps we should move to Denmark because there were some services there. I've been out to Japan, because I've looked at schools all over the place, um, and there is something about the Japanese culture and e equally the Singaporean, if that's the right word, culture that makes it very attractive and easy and welcoming of pe people with autism. So culture does very much come, come into it. Um, the Nigeria, for example, still views autism as a, a witch doctory and so on. So there's enormous variation worldwide. But Britain isn't doing badly. Uh, I think what we need is more um, common databases and so on. This IT itself was going to help. And one last question. Th thank you very much for the talk. I was very struck by your use of the word woeful to, as you look back on Jazz's life. Um, I can't think that anyone here this evening would, looking at the film with the children, would associate the word woeful with their lives, even though you'd warned us about biting and hitting and, in other words, things that were not the rosy picture in the film. Um, I think this is why we all had somewhat damp eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, 30, 40 years ago, as I was growing up, uh, we had children referred to as Mongol. Mm. They would never have been in mainstream schools. We now use the word Down syndrome. They are in mainstream schools. But because of the new test developed very recently at Great Ormond Street, um, which replaces amniocentesis, 95% of women will choose termination rather than give birth to a Down syndrome child. The paradox for me being the wonderful change since we rejected them as Mongol, now we're more caring, but not so caring as, as to avoid 95% choice of termination. Were there ever to be a Great Ormond Street diagnostic test for autism, would that lead to 95% opting for termination? I think that follows. We have no other reason, no other figure to suppose that that's how women would accept. In America, uh, families that have a history of autism and have uh, know the gender of their child but pre-birth, they tend to abort male, male children because of that balance, male-female. So, I mean... I hate the idea of abortion, but I said publicly to you, if I were carrying a child as vulnerable as Giles, I would abort without a moment's hesitation. On that rather <laughs> profound note, I think... <laughs>